Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Law and order is a red-hot button issue in Australia. You do the crime, you serve the time. But what then? How do young people in particular assimilate back into society after their crime, after their time, and especially after they've probably learnt more about crime in jail? How do you help them so they don't reoffend if they need help to get back on track? White Line is an organisation that supports exactly this kind of young person. Their programs provide role modelling, mentoring, employment and programs focusing on crime prevention. So joining us on Open House from White Line is Anna Jenko from the organisation and in just a moment, Matt, who's needed this kind of help from his troubled past and he's been supported through the program. Anna and Matt, welcome to Open House. Thanks for having us, Lee. Thanks, Thanks for Lee, coming man. in. And explain to us the name White Lion. Where's it come from? What's it mean? Uh, White Lion was an organisation created by our current CEO, Mark Watt, and footballer uh, Glenn Manton, AFL footballer Glenn Manton. They came up with the name um, as it symbolises rare courage um, and the courage of a lion. And we expect our young people to have a lot of courage to break through some of the cycles that they're entrenched in as well as a lot of the people from the community who we call on to be mentors or employers. They also need courage to take on a role in, in supporting the young people we work with. Who exactly are the people that you help? So we work with young people that are involved uh, mainly in the juvenile justice system or at risk of being in the juvenile justice system, as well as young people involved in the out-of-home care system. Um, the the thing that brings them together, I suppose, is they have very similar backgrounds of coming from families with that may have had a parent in jail. They come from generally lower socioeconomic areas and have dealing with under, underlying issues of drug use, poverty, um, homelessness or instability in the home. How old are these kids? They range from about 12 up to about 25. Uh, young people in the juvenile justice system um, can be as young as 10, we see that here in New South Wales, uh, up to about 18. In, and in, in southern states, that can go up to about 20 to 21. But we'll still support a young person after they, they leave custody and help them with that transition back into the community. Has it taken a while for you not to be surprised that 10-year-olds get mixed up in the juvenile justice system? Yeah, look, it, it, it has. Um, but when I've been out to one of the, to the centres and, and spent time with the units that have the, the young people from that age group, um, it's, it's, it's always shocking for me to leave them there. Um, but to be honest with you, they're just like, they're just like children and they're, quite sa- they're a lot safer in custody than they are in their homes, unfortunately, and, and they seem quite happy. Can you explain the elements of our society, of family life, of community life that contribute to that kind of circumstance? Yeah, look, a lot of the young people, uh, particularly from that lower age bracket, seem to come from families that just can't care for them um, and communities that have, I suppose, not supported them in the way that they should have. Um, We're seeing a a large number of Aboriginal kids in custody, which is a real shame. So a lot of the younger kids are coming from regional and remote areas um, that tend to to be um, Aboriginal when you say can't care, mm-hmm. is that because they're ill-equipped to do it? Yeah, look, they probably came from a similar background as, they, as the kids that we see. So it could be a, a parent has a drug, drug or alcohol abuse issues. 
Um, it could also mean that the, the family's um, homeless and doesn't have a stable home environment. Um, we also know that a lot of a lot of the young people we work with come from um, you know broken homes or homes that have very high levels of domestic violence and we're seeing a lot of that at the moment too. You've obviously seen a gap that's been there in the juvenile justice system that many people would have assumed, never assume anything, mm. that governments would have met. Yeah, it's, look, it's an interesting one. Juvenile justice seems to do some great run some great programs um, whilst young people are in custody, particularly around counselling, support services, some you know vocational training, um, and also drug and alcohol counselling. Um, the issue is that when a young person leaves detention, what we find is that they don't have a positive peer group or, in many cases, positive family environment. They also don't have access to any employment opportunities, and that's where we fit in. So our programs are based around giving a young person a job, um, giving them the support they need whilst in a job, which is generally where our work is most intensive, and finding them an adult role model, a mentor who can support them. How agreeable are they to being helped by you? Well, the young people that work with us are actually really enthusiastic. So our program is voluntary. No one's forced to work with us. It, it wouldn't work. You can't force a young person to be thrown into an employment situation. Um, we find that the kids are really enthusiastic. They want to change their lives. They have very low self-confidence and self-esteem, and that's where we try to build them up with the help of members from the community. Um, we say that to the kids that they don't have to have had any previous work experience or any particular skills in a certain area. Um, it's just an attitude, really. They just want to change. Yeah. Have you seen many changes or much progress in how governments and the juvenile justice system responds to this gap? Yeah, we, we've got great relationships with state governments um, in the different states we operate in. So that's in New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania and South Australia. Um, we've got a very good relationship with the Attorney-General here, Greg Smith, who strongly believes in our program and doesn't want kids to be locked up. Um, he, he's all in favour of programs that support a transition into the community. Um, in 2010, we were invited by the state government to bring our services to New South Wales because of that gap. So there, there has been, a, there has really been a shift um, in the mindsets of government in how they're dealing with a lot of these issues around juvenile crime. It's an important uh, point to make. Yeah, look, and I think it's getting better, particularly here in New South Wales. Uh, Greg Smith has promised to make changes to the Bail Act, which has seen huge numbers of kids um, being incarcerated. Yeah. There is a stigma, of course, attached to young people who get caught up with the law. People may say it's their choice, they did it, it's their problem. What would you say to that? Yeah, that's a stigma that we fight really hard to change people's mindsets about. I would say that there are so many underlying issues that come from, um, that have to be taken into account when dealing with these young people. Issues like um, poverty, homelessness, drug and alcohol use, family members incarcerated, generational unemployment. Some of our, our kids have th three or four generations of unemployment, so they never had a parent or a grandparent that they ever saw get up out of bed and go to work. So there are a whole lot lot more issues than these. I, I always think of the analogy of a young of a, a sick child and there's so much pity for a sick child because they never asked to be in that situation whereas I don't I don't think there's a big difference from the young person that the young people that we work with because they too didn't choose to be born into the family or the environment that they've been born into. How do you break that cycle then 
And how do you choose who to help and who not to because mm. the numbers are so large? Yeah, there's big numbers. Just in New South Wales, there's 5,000 kids a year. Um, we try not to be too selective. As I said, it's it's we're a very small team, so we have a very limited capacity. Um, but we would never we would never turn our back on any young person if they needed support. Um, again, it's an attitude. If we meet a young person who really wants to change their lives, we'll hang in there and and support them as best as we can. And we've had pretty good success so far. We've seen a lot of lives changed. So, as I said, how do you break that cycle if it's a generational thing over many generations? How do you do that? Yeah, look, it's we we, we call on community members. So we believe that the best recipe i suppose you could say to breaking some of these cycles is taking young people out of that environment and putting them somewhere new so jobs play a big role when young people have something to do um can see a future um can see a life outside of crime uh, that's a big a big big start we also believe that the second ingredient in that is a mentor a positive adult role model um who they can look up to and that's generally something that the young people work with have we work with haven't had um, or have had very few of. So the, the two ingredients we would say are employment and, and mentors. It can be a tricky thing to go to an employer and say, step up to this challenge. Yeah, it's very tough. I mean, yeah. you don't see employers knocking on doors of juvenile justice centres no. um, saying they want to employ young people. We're, we're pretty blessed in that we've, got, we've had some great employment um, partners that have come on board. And we've had really, really great young people that have managed to fit in there. We do a lot of work. We don't get a young person out of custody and throw them into a job. There's a lot of work that needs to be done for most of them around work skills, vocational training. A lot of young people have no idea what they want to be or don't think they're capable to do anything. So we call on businesses to let us in their doors to have for site visits or to spend some time one-on-one -on -one with young people to tell them about what they do in their job. So there's a lot of education there for us. Um, but, yeah, we've got some really great employment partners who have taken that challenge and they have they speak on our behalf to other employers. So, um, you know, we've had employers that say that their management staff have become better managers by working with our young people or they allocate a workplace mentor and are finding that staff are really enjoying that challenge of somebody looking up to them and someone that they can help in, in a way that they never thought that they could. So what it a can difference. contribute. Yeah, what yeah. a difference they can make. Yeah, absolutely. On Open House, we're with Anna Jenko from the White Lion organisation and Matt, who's joined us, not his real name, but will protect his identity, who's been caught up in the juvenile justice system. Matt, tell us your story. Hey, Lee. Um, well, basically, I got sent away for about two years. Didn't really know much about myself at that point um, and didn't know what I wanted to do when I was getting out and getting out was very daunting. You don't know whether you can stay on the straight and narrow or whether you can live a normal life. So you're in juvenile detention. Describe to us what that experience was like for you. Um, very different. You can learn a lot of things that you probably shouldn't learn. Yep. You meet a lot of good friends, but just isolation really. You, um, you always got lots of doubt within yourself of just whether you can get out and not come back because that's all you're really thinking about when you're in there how long till I get out how do you explain how you found yourself in that position so you did your crime which we're not going to go into but to be sent away into uh, detention for two years it's no small thing right. how do you say you got there I, I have a good family um, but you know making wrong decisions wanting to go do um, the wrong sort of things um, hanging out with the wrong people maybe 
just making making impulsive decisions. Impulsive decisions aren't really that good, I don't think. And I made a lot of them. How was it that you came into contact with Whiteline? I had nearly finished my sentence. I had about three months ago, and I was put into a pre-release unit out at Campbelltown. Um, and I got referred to them by my caseworkers, obviously in juvenile detention. And they come and approached me and asked me if I wanted a job, and I agreed to let them um, help me. And um, basically, they found me the job that I'm in now. Um, I've been in that position for roughly a year and three months, year and six months. The program with Whiteline goes for a year, and they they support you any way they can, not just work-related. Um, if you're having troubles elsewhere and you need to ring anybody, you can ring them. And, you know, they're there for you to talk to you and try and help you through it. What's the job you do? I work for the toll group. Um, I started off in the call centre, and I was in the call centre for about a year. And then um, once I graduated the White Line program um, and the Toll Second Step program, I got promoted and I'm now in operations. Great stuff, man. Yes, thank you. When you emerged from juvenile detention, tell us about your mindset of the future. I wasn't thinking, you know, I want to be a rock star or I want to be an astronaut or I want to be anything crazy. My thoughts were I just want to be normal. You know, I just want to be a normal person like my mum or my dad sort of thing. And then once I get to that stage, you know, then I can start thinking about something else. So um, getting out was just trying to embrace going to work every day and, um, you know, not going out too much and not doing any naughty stuff and substance abuse or anything like that. Just Has that been hard to turn your oh, back on Oh, yeah, that? definitely. You know, you always want to go back and see your old friends and you always want to go back to doing some of the stuff that was just normal back then sort of thing. So, yeah, definitely. Um, but... Like I said, impulsive decisions aren't good, so you just got to, you know, have a think about what you really want in life and, and have a think about, yeah, just whether it's the right decision or not. Did you detect any hesitation on behalf of your employer? Definitely not, no. They were very positive um, because what Whiteline went in there and explained the whole situation to them and, um, you know, and pretty much prepares them and warms them up, like worst-case scenario sort of thing. So then by the time you get in there and and you, you perform a little bit, they're like, wow, you know, this isn't too bad sort of thing. And it was a very good experience for me, really. Can you put into words what the difference this has made for your life? If White Line was not there to, you know, help me make those first few steps, I very big possibility I wouldn't be where I am today. I would have been back in the same neighbourhood I um, lived in and back with the same friends, not that, not that they're bad people, but back with the same friends and back doing the same old stuff that I didn't necessarily want to do. What's the future look like for you then? Yeah, the future's looking up. You know, I've just I've just had a promotion, so I'm very pleased about that and um, just keep going, working my way up from there. What would you say this whole experience, especially going through the juvenile justice system, has taught you? It's definitely made me who I am today, but I, I, never, I never want to go back to a place like that. So making these decisions, which are big decisions and not little decisions, change your life forever is a big deal sort of thing. Don't really want to go back. Anna, can you help anyone? Because there are some tough customers in this arena, aren't there? There are some tough customers. We can't help young people who don't want to be helped. We have come across young people who just aren't quite ready to make that next step. We've unfortunately been in a situation where some issues at home or issues with the family have prevented young people from working with us, and that is incredibly tricky. Um, so unfortunately... No, we can't. We'd love to help everybody. But there's also a resourcing issue too. Um, we're a very small team. 
trying to meet a very big need. But you're also very much dependent on the mentors, on the employers to complement your work. Absolutely. So the more young people we take on board, the more jobs we need and the more mentors we need. It's very challenging for us, particularly when we start operations in a new place. Um, We've been in New South Wales for a year now. It's been a big battle to get employers on board. So those employers who come on board, we, we actually say, we just want one job. Just one job is enough. And then that might lead to two or three down in the future. Um, but we always need new employers and we need, need new industries. We'd never work with a young person who wants to be a plumber and not offer that opportunity to him and say, well, we've got this job going in a warehouse, just do that. We always want to match young people with, with the industries and the jobs that they're after. And you can point to people like Matt and say, this actually can work. Yeah, and work absolutely. And spectacularly. Yeah, and I mean, Toll now has Matt's old position available and has asked us to fill it, which is a great credit to Matt, um, but also to our caseworkers who who were able to support Matt in that role. It must be tremendously rewarding for you personally when you see this kind of thing happen. It is, because the the, the odds are against young people um, from kind of making it, making a good life for themselves when they leave custody. It's about 60% recidivism rate. So 60% of kids who leave go straight back in and a hell of a lot of kids will go on to the adult system. We say that when a young person gets a job, that goes down to about 6%. So when you see a young person inside a detention centre and then see them a year later where Matt is now, um, it's incredibly rewarding. Can I ask you a personal question? Mm -hmm. Why do you do this? Why are you involved in this as opposed to everything and anything else? Yeah, look, I love working with young people. I love um, teenagers. I know when I was a teenager, I thought I was invincible. And I think every teenager needs to have that feeling. It's a really worthwhile thing. And I'm a a big believer that that employment and members of the general community, no matter how small you think your influence is, can actually make a really big difference. So if there are people out there who'd like to step up Mm -hmm. to that challenge of being a mentor, but what a rewarding challenge, or an employer, how should they contact you? Um, check out our website, which is www.whitelion.org.au and, and the number's on there or, or shoot us an email. And we'll put the link on our Open House Community Facebook page. Anna and Matt, thank you so much indeed for uh, joining us. Great. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.